0: art we don't know what it is but we know what we like
1: history is of course replete with stories of artworks which went missing and the mysteries surrounding their recovery
0: indeed the documentary series allo Low detailed the french resistance's attempt to keep van klomp's the fallen madonna the big boobies, out of Nazi hands.
1: Indeed, an entire episode could be devoted to what happened to various artworks and treasures during World War II, given the Third Reich's penchant for stealing art and religious artifacts for Hitler and his cronies.
0: The documentary Raiders of the Lost Ark details the work of one Professor Henry Indiana Jones in trying to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant from Nazi hands, although what happened to it after the war still remains a mystery.
1: But in today's episode, we're going to look at three stories about conspiracies in the art world which have tickled our fancies.
0: Two we have covered in bonus episodes of the podcast, whilst the third, well, it almost featured in an episode at the beginning of this
1: year. So, sit back, grab a glass of wine, light up a cigar, and enjoy the show.
0: No, seriously, grab that wine and get a cigar.
1: We can wait. It's not a suggestion. Uh, perhaps a Pinot Gris? Fine, don't
0: smoke them if you got them. See if we care. Plebs. Philistines.
1: The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. Brought to you today by Josh Addison and Dr. M. Denton. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. Good I, and evening! Uh, I was about to say I am Josh Edison the Dr. M. Dentith, but apparently uh, it's none other than Alfred Hitchcock. So. It's true. Welcome to Tales of
0: Mystery and the Imagination as we go through the Outer Limits
1: and fiddle with the dial of the Twilight Zone. That sounds a little bit dirty, and I'm down with it. Um, now, you might have noticed that uh, if you're watching on video, that we are we are socially distant via Zoom once again. Just to reassure our international listeners, we're not back in lockdown again. Um, I was just simply not make, able to make it over to Im's place this fine evening, so we're doing things remotely. But I think I think everyone's used to that now, so it's probably okay. Um, so we have uh, we ha- we have an interesting episode for you. This week, but first you've been doing more more talking, more giving of talks.
0: I have. So earlier this week I gave a talk in the Philosophy Department seminar series at the University of Auckland. But there's not much to report on that because it was in fact the same talk I gave a week prior, which we covered in the podcast a week ago. Mm-hmm. So basically it was more of the same. I mean, it was refined the same, but it was also essentially... The same, the same.
1: Right. Uh, and then there's been more goings on at the 45th Midwest Colloquium. Yes, so this week Love we had colloquium.
0: Steve Clark, and Steve Clark gave a blistering critique of a book by Nancy L. Rosenblum and Russell Muirhead called A Lot of People Are Saying The New Conspiracism and the Assault on Democracy, and a good time was had
1: by all. What is this book? We haven't, I don't think it's come up yet. So it's a book in
0: the political sciences, and it deals with a thesis that there's a new form of conspiracism breed, form of conspiracy theory out there in the world now, which is different from classic conspiracy theories, which basically refers to anything pre the birth of theories around Barack Obama, and these new theories are basically conspiracy theory without the theory. So they've got no theoretical components. They're just bald assertion. And Rosenblum and Muirhead say, this is bad. It's an assault on democracy. And as it turns out, Steve Clark goes, well, that, that's, that's not true. All of the features they say, which are essential to the new conspiracism, are things we can find in the old conspiracism. And if the new conspiracism doesn't exist, it's no special threat to democracy after all. A point that was agreed upon by Brian Alkeely, Charles Pigden, and myself in discussion after Steve's paper. Quality work, Steve. Quality work.
1: Jolly good. Um, so apart from you, you spreading yourself all over the all over the place these, which it seems to be coming more prevalent. Uh, do you find you're more in demand these days Has the world's interest in conspiracy theory sort of perked up more than it, more than it used to?
0: Yes, and I say yes with that kind of drawn out yes because. On one level, it's good for me. On another level, the fact that people keep on needing to talk to me about things indicates that society is not progressing in a direction which is conducive for the continuation of the human species. If people Mm. need my advice, then things are getting very bad indeed.
1: Oh, that's a worry. Um, but let's take your take your you and by by you I mean both you, Dr. Dentith, and you, our listener, your minds of it um, by by talking about some some classy conspiracy theory scandals in the art world. I assume they're classy because I assume everything to do with the art world is. I assume people in the art world are always wearing monocles and slipping slipping from a glass of cognac. That's how big the glass is. They just slip right out of it.
0: Indeed, they're always saying um, egads, and those mm, monocles are just popping yep. right out.
1: Constantly popping off. So essentially they wear spectacles, but that's only because they have two monocles in at a time. I mean, On account what of one of way just popping how out, shocked
0: yeah. things are by Precisely. popping both monocles at the
1: same time. Right. I have, I have no idea what I'm even saying now, so maybe you should just play the chime and things will become a little bit clearer once we get into it.
0: Okay, so in that six seconds, have you managed to clear your mind? The answer is so. no, isn't it? The answer is no.
1: Uh, it, it more, I more or less have. Um, so this this is, uh, bits of this are going to seem familiar to our beloved patrons because um, in times past, when, we've, when we used to do news episodes, for the patron episode we'd, we'd try to do something that wasn't at all news related like the patron episodes used to be, um, and we'd, we'd, we'd sort of discuss a few sort of smaller stories that had popped up from time to time. And a couple of these were quite interesting stories we found uh, um, that had a Common theme of of sort of art ish stuff in general, um, and and this is another one of those things where we've been saying for a while now, ah, oh, we should do an episode about that. We should do an episode where we just where we go over those artsy ones because we think all of our listeners would be interested in, in hearing about them. Um, mm. And we've finally put our money where our respective mouths are, and we're going to be discussing those things today. So we have. Um, we have two, two main topics which have been discussed in Patreon episodes, another sort of sub, sub-topic which never actually made it to a Patreon episode, and so it's brand new, and I think we have some updates to some of the ones as well. So it's all, it's all going to be dashed interesting, if I do say so myself. So E-gads, I say as my monocles go pop-pop! Precisely. Do you still have the surprise sound effect? on that i don't i don't think my monocles could take it actually to be honest so maybe give that one a rest um but so where do we start do we start with the tale of the dodgy papyrologist
0: i think we do i think we start with a character who was obviously named by douglas adams Ooh. the poor story of dirk obnik is Ob-ing. it obnik actually i can't I think remember how I we think decided Ob-nick.
1: how Ob-nick. I think we decided it was obink yeah. yeah Obnick
0: well, you know, mm. you're the person who pronounces last names on this podcast. I, I do from time, to time You can't trust yep. me to say anything properly. I mean, so can't even say my own last name half the time.
1: Let's just call him Dr. Dirk, because that sounds a bit more dashing and interesting. Um, although he's accused of some of some rum doing. So Dr. Dirk Obink is a papyrologist, which is a real thing, at Oxford University, um, who has been accused of stealing and selling ancient documents to the Green family? Now, there, there are folks who've come up before, I think, in, in news updates. Uh, the Greens are the family who own Hobby Lobby, the, the chain of stores in the states, and they are the who ones were who famous
0: set up for
1: supporting terrorism. Yes, so they they, they, they set, set up this um, museum of Christian history, or whatever it's called. I think it's just the they...
0: Museum of the
1: Bible. Yeah, there we go. Um, where they've had lots of uh, basically biblical-era artifacts, and they got in a bit of trouble in the past because it turns out some of these artifacts are things that had sort of been looted and smuggled out of the Middle East and were basically funding terrorist organizations. So these people were themselves indirectly funding these terrorists by uh, buying the, the the proceeds of their looting. Um, they ended up, I think, they got fined, didn't they? It's there in the notes. Three million dollars. They got fined after um, smuggling out some ancient Iraqi artifacts, but also they had some bits of papyrus, which they claim to be uh, date from biblical times. Um, And these ones apparently have also been procured under dodgy circumstances. Yes, so these are
0: 120 papyrus fragments, which were a little bit suspicious. So there's this entire thing that goes on in the world of papyrology which is that universities, by and large, build up collections of these small fragments of papyrus, they then put them into storage, and then they wait for experts to come along and start cataloguing and then translating them. So first of all, you build up a catalogue of all the papyrus you have or all the fragments of documents from the past, and you try to sort them into which century they belong to, which stylistic features they have. If there's an identified author, you put them in there. So if it turns out you've got bits of the New Testament, then you put them into a special pile and you try and work out, say, which letter of St. John they belong to or which gospel they belong to. And then because the expertise needed to translate and deal with these papyri is actually quite difficult, then you start the really long process of asking for permission to examine these documents and produce definitive works, which then by and large belong to the university or collection that these papyri belong to. And so what we had in this particular situation was that Dr. Dirk, as we're calling him, because Mm -hmm. I just want to call him Obnick the entire time, even though that's not how his last name is pronounced, is an expert in translating Greek and Koine Greek, so ancient Greek and then the more modern version of ancient Greek. And he was taken to be one of the people who's really good at translating and looking after early fragments of Gospels, so dealing with written forms of the Gospels from the New Testament, which date back to within a few decades of the death of the Christian Messiah, Joshua H. Christ. The H stands for holy. It's actually Mm. not true at all. I'm probably offending Christians, my heart's content, but I'm a lapsed Catholic. I'm allowed to get away with these things. And so what's interesting about what happened with the fragments papyri that Hobby Lobby ended up with is that they seemed awfully similar to a whole bunch of papyri fragments That were missing from the Oxyrhynchus Rhynchus? Oxyrhynchus? Yep. Oxyrhynchus Collection Which is owned by the Egypt Exploration Society The EES And was housed at Oxford Sackler Library Now of course When we say Sackler
1: mm-hmm. we'll- If you are, if if you've been paying attention, that name may ring some bells because the Sacklers. This is the very same Sacklers who own Purdue, the pharmaceutical company that's basically been blamed for the um, uh, which one? Which one are they? They OxyContin.
0: I think so. Yeah, the
1: OxyContin epidemic in the states, and they've been known to sort of. Uh, bolster their family name by devoting large, uh, donating rather large amounts of money to universities. Well, look, Josh, uh, it's quite simple. I mean, you you
0: make a fortune getting people addicted to opiates and then you rehabilitate yourself by donating large sums of money to the upper class and the TOFs in the UK. And it makes all your problems just disappear because the common people, the plebs, they absolutely love it. When the organization which got them hooked on crack is giving money to people who never need crack because, you know, their spines are wibbly wobbly from all the inbreeding.
1: Mm. Yes, no, I mean, so the, that's largely irrelevant to the story. Nevertheless, we've got the greens and the sacklers mixed in it as well. Um, but yes, so th- this collection, Oxyrhynchus. Oxy means sharp. I know that much. I can't remember what rhynchus is, so probably Knows? doesn't matter. Um, is it, is yeah. it the sharp nose collection it is. maybe it 's the sharp nose collection um, but yes yeah, so that 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 uh, egypt exploration society that owns this collection there are I, I gather they were sort of an organization that goes back quite a long time, back far enough that their original purpose was basically showing up in Egypt, nicking artifacts and taking them back to England, and these days try to be a little more uh responsible with themselves and but but uh much like the Elgin marbles, I guess, don't don't actually feel so strong as to give their stuff back, but nevertheless uh, uh curate it now. Um so yeah, a hundred and twenty of these fragments um have gone missing from the collection uh, that Obink was supposedly looking after. Um, at the time, he denied everything. He, he, was like, he, he claimed that he was being framed, uh, that any sales documents or invoices with his name on them suggesting he was the one that sold them were faked. Um, now, things were particularly suspicious in this case because it wasn't just that these papyrus fragments went missing, but the catalogue records that referred to them went missing as well. Um, so that's that's somebody not just taking them, but then wanting to remove all evidence that they were there in the first place to try and cover their tracks. Oh, now uh, there's actually
0: one part of the story we've forgotten to mention.
1: We have which so, have, which have we forgotten.
0: Doctor Dirk isn't just someone who goes around translating fragments of papyri. He also has a burgeoning trade as someone who buys and sells antiquities, including. Fragments of papyri, which he definitely didn't source from the EES, definitely didn't
1: source those at yes. all. Yes, yes, no. So that definitely counts against him as well. But um, so it turned out there were there was uh, backup catalog information, and the Egypt Exploration Society has sort of had, did a bit of a bit of um cross matching and discovered that there were in fact. Um, things missing, but the fact that the, the main catalogue records had gone as well suggests that A, someone really wanted to hide the tracks, and B, someone, w- th- this someone was probably someone on the inside, someone who actually knew the workings of the catalogue. Um, so it did not look good for Dr. Dirk. Um, he, 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 there'd been a bit of conspiracy around him in the past. He, well, I think one of the things that made his name was um, he uh, published an analysis of some fragments that were apparently the writings of Sappho, the, the famous classical poet. Um, actually, I think you'll find
0: the famous lesbian philosopher poet.
1: Well, yes, but we, actually I, I wasn't sure. Was this works of her poetry or of her philosophy? I don't know if the contents of them came up at actually, the Actually,
0: that, that's a good point. Mm. I, mean, I mean, Sappho is kind of famous for her erotic poetry and coming from the Isle of Lesbos but also actually was a philosopher as well. And I actually don't Ooh. know what these what these fragments were, but they are taken to be copies of her work. So they're not Ooh. works in her hand. They are copies of her work. And given how little of her work has survived, this set of translations he produced of Sappho's work was taken to be big news indeed. And Ooh. we'll be coming back to that.
1: I think we will because um, there there was a bit of a bit of controversy around that, and it all comes down to cartonnage, which I think I, I think last time we weren't sure if, it, if it's if it's cartonnage or cartonnage, but I, I actually went and looked it up, and I've heard human beings saying the word, and they are fairly consistent at cartonnage. Now cartonnage is basically um, paper mache but with papyrus. In this, in this so context, the, as it the, is anyway. The,
0: the fanciest form of paper mache. Mm. If you go to a really, really top school, then they don't yep. do
1: paper mache, they do cartonnage. Yes, I think people still do it these days with cardboard. It's a similar sort of thing. but So it's like paper mache, but a bit, a bit stiffer, basically.
0: And there are two um, forms of cartonnage there's industrial cartonnage, which is where you just take a whole bunch of papyrus. You wet it, you turn it into blocks. And then there's mummy cartonnage. Mm. And it's the mummy cartonnage, which yep. is the really interesting stuff.
1: Yes, so um, some uh, mummies were buried with masks made of cartonnage, And a thing that you can do is take these masks, essentially dissolve them, dissolve out the glue that holds them together and retrieve the scraps of papyrus that they were made of. Now, that's that's kind of frowned upon. E- even if the stuff, that the papyrus um, that you manage to extract from them is of enormous historical, value, you're still destroying a historical artifact to get at them in the first place. So and often destroying
0: an artifact not knowing if there's going to be any particular benefit mm. to doing it. Because if it turns out that this pharaoh's mask is made up entirely of shopping lists, that's going to be of interest to some economists, but not of much interest to the literary world in general.
1: Mm. Um, and so things get a little bit dodgy. And so I remember at the time, we, we, when we first talked about this, we were surprised to, to find ourselves talking about the the international practice of papyrus laundering. Um, where this can be a way of um, laundering, essentially, um, illegally obtained or fake bits of papyrus, Um, you can say that... Um, You know, no, no, we didn't. We didn't steal it. We didn't get it from any dodgy place. There was this uh, mummy mask which we legally obtained, and we we uh, destroyed that. Which yes, okay, people look down on it, but it's not actually illegal. You're allowed. You know, if if you own it, you are allowed to break it down for the papyrus if you want to. Um, And so that's where these scraps of papyrus came from. They're perfect, perfectly legit. They came from a, a mummy mask that we purchased and dissolved ourselves and. Um, which is nice if it's true but it's also a story that can be used to cover for the fact that this papyrus you've got was was obtained via more uh, dodgy methods or indeed that it's fake to begin with and so there was yes, so, suggestions. Actually, so the yes. other
0: thing which you need to point out here is that you are allowed to trade in certain antiquities as long as they left a certain country at a certain time So there's a whole trade in Egyptian antiquities, which basically left the country before the modern nation-state of Egypt, so circa about the 1960s. And you're allowed to trade those artifacts, but anything which postdates that point, that's illegal antiquities trades. So not only... Is there a kind of worry about cartonnage with respect to your damaging artifacts? There's also the worry that cartonnage is being smuggled out of the country for this process to occur.
1: Ooh. Um, and so there were suggestions that these Sappho fragments that Obek had published might have been a little bit dodgy, um, because there were photographs of the fragments themselves, there were photographs of them being extracted from this cartonnage, and the photographs of them being extracted were actually dated after the images of the fragments themselves, which, which does not appear possible. So maybe, yeah, you know, may, maybe there was something wrong with the dates on the photographs or there was some confusion there, but it, it certainly cast doubt upon things. Um, and that's kind of where we left things, I think, when we first discussed the story. But I understand there have been some de- Oh, sorry, I should say, I, I don't think I mentioned this right at the beginning. Um, we first talked about this at uh, the bonus episode accompanying episode 255, which is back in February of 2020. And it was based on an article in The Guardian in January of 2020. I gather there have been some developments since then?
0: Yes, so at some point in November 2019, the police were called in to investigate exactly what was going on with the Oxyrhynchus collection. And Dr. Dirk was arrested somewhere between March and April of last year. Ooh. Now, I can't so... find any update subsequently. I believe when he was arrested, bail was posted, so he's on his own reconnaissance. But there has been an arrest. Dirk has continued to maintain his innocence in this issue, but certainly being arrested is at least some indication that there's probably more to the story than Dr. Dirk wants to let on.
1: Mm. Um, And then as well as that, uh, in October of last year, the Bulletin of the American Society of Papyrologists, which once again is a thing, um, it was published containing an article by C. Michael Sampson, which is entitled "Deconstructing the Provenances of P.
0: which means um, papyruses of Sappho, as translated by obinc.
1: Um And it, it seems like he he is basically casting doubt on the 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 story of this manuscript. He's found some uh, some inconsistencies. Uh, so first of all, the the use of old papyrus for making mummy cartonnage died out, apparently, like 200 years before the fragments supposedly recovered, uh, recovered from the cartonnage were produced. So there seems to be an issue around the idea that these things could have come from mummy cartonnage in the first place. Um, and then there are a bunch of inconsistencies around how how Obink supposedly came upon these uh, fragments. And there's this mysterious German officer, I understand. Yeah, so in the original version
0: of the story, when Obink talked about where he procured the fragments from, because he was the one who presented the world with, I've got some fragments, Here's some translations. He talked about the idea that this particular bit of mummy cartonnage was taken out of Egypt by a German officer, Rainer Kriebel, who was a military attache to the German Federal Republic's embassy in Egypt in Cairo. Then later on, this German officer kind of disappears from the story to the point where Dr. Dirk, when he's challenged on what about the German officer, starts saying, oh, I never talked about a German officer. That was invented by someone else. And so Samson has basically tracked down the initial report and actually tracked down who the officer was, i.e. Rainer Kriebel. And this turns out to be a bit of a problem for Obink's story, because he said this person existed, then he denied this person existed, and it turns out this person did exist. But it also turns out that the bit of mummy cartonnage that Creeball has an association with really can't be the bit of mummy cartonnage that Obink said he got the fragments from. So it seems if the entire origin story of these fragments is completely fictitious.
1: Mm. Which doesn't necessarily mean that the fragments themselves are fake, but it could mean that they were obtained in a, a slightly less than legal manner.
0: Yes, i.e. they may have been obtained from Kashanaj, which was taken from Egypt well after the period you're allowed to be buying and selling antiquities.
1: Mm. Um, And so that's where things stand at the moment. So we should actually we should put a link to that guardian article in the in the notes or in the in the tweets accompanying this episode or something because it's quite a it's a surprisingly sort of gripping story of detective work and 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 um intrigue in tracing down exactly what had happened but um and
0: entirely a case of a student magazine at oxford going actually there's something really weird going on here and people going, actually, you're right. That is weird. We should probably investigate that more.
1: Hmm. So that yeah, de- definitely worth looking at. But that's where it stands at the moment. Um, which means we should probably move on to the second story that we looked at um, in a patron episode accompanying the next news episode. The news epi- uh, episode, episode two fifty nine. News episode from March of twenty twenty. Um, and we were alerted to this from another Guardian article, which was also dated January 2020. January 2020 seems to have been the month for, for mysterious goings-on in the art world, it seems. And
0: we thought it was going to be the year of art forgery, art hopes mm. and art conspiracies. And it turned out not to be. And if only it had been. If mm. only it had been. I might be giving talks called Conspiracy Theorising in the Age of the Art Forgery. Oh, actually, that's a great idea for a paper. Maybe I should write Ooh. that.
1: I think maybe you should, anyway. But anyway, right. So the story we're going to talk about now centres on the Salvator Mundi, um, which is it's the name of a painting. It's the name of a bunch of paintings. I think it's sort of a mm-hmm. a, 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 a recurring thing in Christian iconography or whatever. The Salvator Mundi, sa- meaning Saviour of the World, um, is a sort of is a depiction of Jesus uh, with 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 one hand up, doing that that two fingers thing that he does The kind of Churchill beast
0: thing, but Mm. more like Spock.
1: And and holding a glass orb in the other hand, and the orb represents the world, I believe, that he is the saviour of Um, and the most famous Salvatore Mundi is a work of Leonardo da Vinci's. A lost work. A lost of work of Leonardo yes. da Vinci. Lost for a long time. Uh, now, at the time we uh, first talked about this, it was the most expensive painting ever, and as far as I know, still is. I don't know if it's been surpassed yet. It was sold at Christie's for 450.3 million US dollars in 2017. Um, and there are, there are a few sort of controversies and potential conspiracies around it. Um, it, it's, it. It was lost for a long, long time. It resurfaced at an auction in New Orleans, in uh, Louisiana, in 2005. It was bought for a mere... around $1,000. I'm trying to do the called... math
0: here of just what kind mm. of return you get for 1K versus four hundred Versus 450 million. 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 I think... I think it's at least fifteen times as much money. I mean, possibly
1: I mean, even sixteen times it, as much. It, yeah, it is. It's it is very. It is definitely number-wing. more. I can you as number-wing. much. It's more. Yep. Um, not, yeah, so not I mean, as th- much as
0: eighteen, though, right? That'd be far well, too big. A d- d- I
1: don't know. I don't know. I need to get my calculator out, but could be. Uh, so this fellow Robert Simon And his business partners That, that um, Somehow had come across This painting And had gotten an inkling That it might actually Be a genuine Da Vinci Obviously if it was Selling for a thousand dollars Whoever owned it Had no idea Of its true provenance Um But it was authenticated uh, by experts from the National Gallery three years later in 2008. It was shown to the public in the National Gallery from November 2011 to February 2012. Um, Since then, it's changed hands a few times. So Robert Simon and his business partners weren't the ones selling it in 2017. So they probably themselves didn't get $450 but they've got a hell of a lot. Um but yes, its record breaking sale in twenty seventeen was to actually well we'll get to who it was sold to in a little bit. Mm, we um, will because there were there there were a number of controversies already before that. I mean the, the reason why this article was written was because a bit of a controversy that it it all sounds a little bit a little bit sort of technical and, and weird and pedantic really, this first thing. That that's apparently um there were claims that the painting was being shown at the time it was up for sale, which apparently is a bit of a no-no. Apparently, if if you've got a work like that up for sale... You can
0: kind of understand. If you're trying to sell a painting, putting it in, say, the National Gallery in the UK, where it's going to get a lot of press, is going to draw a lot of attention to that sale and make people go, Oh, this is a displayable piece. I should probably buy that. So I can understand why galleries in particular would be going, no, no, we don't. if there's even the hint that you're trying to sell this particular piece, we are not going to display it. And if people start lying about that, then of course that can also bring your gallery into disrepute because people think
1: that you're in on the con. Hmm. So, I mean, yes, it's, no, it's not sort of illegal or anything, but it's very much not done. And so there was a bit of a, there'd been a bit of controversy around whether or not it had been done. And um, this this British art historian called Ben Lewis um, published a letter release uh, which which contained what he described as nuclear proof. Uh, no, no shortage of hyperbole there. That the picture had been offered for sale um, at various times when it was supposedly on display, and th- there was, a, as I recall, there was a little bit of some sort of dodginess around the idea that that sort of it was up for sale, and then it got put on display, and then it was up for sale again, and they tried to sort of say, ah, oh, but d- during the time it was on display, it wasn't for sale, but it was for sale directly before and directly after, or something. It all, it all seemed a little bit, a little bit off. Um, so there was there was a bit of controversy around that, um, but there was th- th- that was not the only controversy. Um, no, a... I mean
0: the bigger controversy was the claim by British art historian Charles Hope that the Salvador Mundi that everyone was really excited by was not in fact the work of Leonardo da Vinci at all.
1: Hmm. I think that is worth the sting. Yes. Um yes, yeah, so, I mean there there was but even before that there was some question about the the state of it it was It's a painting on wood, um as we say for a very long time, it seemed to have been held by someone who didn't actually know the value of what they had, and so it doesn't seem to have been treated as well as it possibly should have been um it's It's uh quite banged up, there were sort of you know bits where the wood had chipped away, and so on. There was a big streak right down the middle of it where it had been all scratched away. Um, when um, when it was first uh, bought by Robert Simon um, it had been heavily over in an attempt to restore it and so they, would, they did a lot of work at, at cleaning off all of this painting to, to reveal the original painting underneath and then there was some restoring done and there, would, there was again, there was a bit of A bit of controversy over whether you know how the uh, restoration had been done. Whether there was too much, whether um, you know the distinction between filling in bits where the paint was gone versus painting over bit where the original paint um, was already there, and how much of that you should do and how much you shouldn't, and so on. Um, But at that point, no one was disputing that it was a Da Vinci. But nevertheless, since then, people have. Um, From what I can gather, the consensus is that. If it isn't a da Vinci, it's at least from his workshop. Um, Yes, I think the
0: consensus is Leonardo's hand is involved in it to some degree. The question Mm. is whether he merely sketched out the image and then his assistants basically painted it in, or whether he did a large amount of the work and then the work was finished off by one of his assistants.
1: Hmm. Um... So there's uh, one fellow called Matthew Landris, um, who's a scholar of da Vinci's works. Um, he believes that most of the painting is by a man called Bernardino Luini, who was an assistant of da Vinci's, but whose own work generally sells for less than a million pounds. Which is at um, least
0: so. half. Of what it actually sold for eventually, it's, isn't it?
1: I'm, I'm pretty sure one is a decent amount less than 450. Yeah. yeah, I'd, 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 yeah. Need to, I'd need to look that up. Yeah, once again, sure we, really
0: right. should, we, we should use some of the patron monies and buy a calculator.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, we have a fellow called Alan Wintermute, who is a senior specialist in old master paintings at Christie's in London. Um, and he's quite convinced it's a Da Vinci. He says uh, every major scholar of Leonardo's work accepts the picture and has for the past decade. Um, Adding, it's not in flawless condition It's 500 years old and absolutely Has the presence and condition of a true Leonardo. Now,
0: a large Chunk of this is actually due To the fact that identifying The hand of a painter Turns out to be a very Inexact science. Mm. And in part This is kind of confounded by the fact That Because Leonardo da Vinci wasn't just a solo painter, he had a workshop, he had had students, he had assistants, who he was training to paint, many of the characteristic techniques we take to be true to Leonardo's forms are also going to be found in amongst his students as well. Because people talk about the, the kind of feathering work that Leonardo used in his work. And then people go, but yeah, but the problem is... Bernardino Luini also has feathering work and we don't know is that feathering work a case of Leonardo coming at the end of Bernardino's work going oh, I'll just I'll just finish this bit off for you or was Leonardo teaching Bernardino to do that particular type of feathering work so there's an entire in inexact science here of trying to detect the figurative fingerprint of painters in paintings, and then going, yeah, but unfortunately, this is tradecraft. This got taught to people. It's not a guarantee.
1: Mm. So, yeah, that's sort of where it stands. You have some experts think it's not a genuine da Vinci, other people who think it definitely is. Um, whether or not it is, I guess, would it would affect its uh value to a great degree, but that doesn't really matter because the fact is that it did indeed sell for over four hundred and fifty million US dollars. Now Josh, who yeah. did it sell to? Well, so apparently after it was sold, it was due to be unveiled at the the Louvre Abu Dhabi. Apparently there are Louvre museums around the world. I didn't realise it was a franchise operation, but there you go. Well, there's, also, uh, there's, one there's
0: in... also New York universities all around the world. There's one in Abu Dhabi. There's one in Singapore. It turns out New York University is not just constrained to New York.
1: Mm. It actually, there's so...
0: e- even a New York University in Shanghai.
1: Mm. So um, it, it was foreshadowing to have been unveiled at the, the Louvre in Abu Dhabi uh, back in 2018. Um, it was bought by a member of the Saudi royal family, a Prince Badr bin Abdullah, um, who, who it was suggested was um, acting as a proxy from Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I think he's, he's worth the sting as well, isn't he? Um, and indeed, a few months after the sale, Prince Badr bin Abdullah was made Saudi Arabia's first ever minister of culture, suggesting that was possibly, you know, a reward for him doing uh, the crown prince's bidding. Yes, again, okay. uh, now... good work,
0: old chap. Getting ourselves a legitimate Leonardo da Vinci. Why not have this ministry over here as a reward?
1: Mm. Now, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia Is good buddies with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed uh, of Abu Dhabi So it would make sense if if, if, uh, Mohammed bin Salman or MBS I believe as he's known these days um, Bought bought this to lend to his friend to display in this prestigious uh, gallery in Abu Dhabi Um, The thing is though As I intimated, that never actually happened. Uh, So since it was sold in 2017, it has not been seen since. Um, Now, there are a few suggestions as to why that may be. Um, Some people have suggested that perhaps its current owners are no longer that convinced that it is a work of Leonardo da Vinci, and so they haven't wanted to exhibit it for that reason. Especially since Um, if
0: they exhibit it in a fancy new convention hall... Experts might come and have a look at it, which, if it isn't a real, real Leonardo da Vinci, might be the death knell of your four hundred and thirty million dollar purchase.
1: Mm. Um, and the other suggestion is basically that Mohammed bin Salman, being a guy who, as we know, just kind of does what he wants, um, has just kept it. Yep, yeah, um, just keeping
0: it on his luxury yacht.
1: Yep, supposedly it has, it is, it is in storage in a luxury yacht. Owned by Mohammed bin Salman, where, where allegedly it's awaiting the construction of a new Saudi cultural centre, where it will be displayed. Um, but yes, a luxury yacht doesn't sound like the the, the, the sort of safe house where you'd put. Um, a, a an over $400 million painting just for storage. But, so well, the except is, that
0: possibly you might. I mean, I've been to Dubai, and if you spend any time in a hotel there, that environment is incredibly regulated to keep the humidity down and the temperature quite pleasant, as opposed to walking out the front door into the street. So I imagine... If you're the crown prince of Saudi Arabia and you own a luxury yacht, which the crown prince of Saudi Arabia definitely does, it is probably one of the most temperature and humidity controlled environments ever made by a private organization. Which means Mm. actually it might be the best place to keep this item.
1: Well, yeah, I, I certainly, I, I would certainly believe that it, it is a suitable environment to keep a 500-year old
0: of Unless MBS is using it as a surfboard, being pulled along behind well, case, a luxury yes, yacht. Definitely. Although, but, imagine that is the kind of thing you would pull if you were the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and you've got money to spare in case of, yeah, my surfboard is a genuine Leonardo da Vinci.
1: Hmm. Nevertheless, I would argue that while it may be possible that a luxury yacht could be a perfectly um, suitable storage space for a 500-year-old master, um, you, it would surely be even better if you had that sort of storage environment in a, in a, in a, in a location that could not sink into the water, say, a bank or no no, no even of better. any what kind. What about a submarine? What well, sub- well, exactly. You can't. You can't sink if you're already underwater. That's well, actually. That's I mean, for that actually, you. that's the weird thing, though. You can sink. Well, I mean, submarine. you can a submarine on the sea floor, some sort of undersea base. I'm, Did you, you ever the see the film in "An Octopus's Garden" in the shade? Did you ever see the film "Underwater"? Came out last year. Oh, the one What's with face from Stewart. Twilight in a Christian yeah. Stewart yeah. in it. Good, yeah, Well, actually, good film. No,
0: no, so I won't say it's a good film. I think her. I think she's great in it.
1: I, I think I it's just it a fairly
0: standard alien. A good
1: example off. of its kind. Oh yeah. A good, yeah. I mean, a, a, mean she's a really great. Your, she's a great
0: action star. Mm, she's
1: really a good. really successor to your, to the the brief underwater. Uh, phase in the nineties with the deep risings a, and your or, leviathans or and your deep, deep star sixes. Sex. Yeah. Anyway, that's not relevant. But well, even, but I'm just saying is. you should go and see the movie Underwater because it was, it was actually. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I'm pretty sure it is the best film I saw in a cinema in 2020. How many films but, do you um, see in the cinema? Well, precisely. Nevertheless, I, I stand by that claim. Um, now, the, I think the only really,
0: the only film I saw in a cinema. In 2020 was Tenet oh, yeah, I saw Tenet And that was definitely the worst film I saw in the cinema great. that year
1: I also saw Psycho Goreman uh, At the at the Hollywood Navondale Which I liked but actually I think I preferred Underwater But anyway um, Now, obviously the fact that we're rambling About good films that you should see Means we're at the end of this story But we're not at the end of this episode because we do have another story And it concerns The Salvatore Mundi <laughs> not that Salvatore Mundi But not that one, no, as I said before There are lots of Salvatore Mundis um, And uh, basically this was just something that popped up last year Oh no, actually, sorry, at the beginning of this year um, That was like, ah, oh, we, sh- we should chuck this in a Patreon episode Because it's an interesting follow-up to the other one Another, another Salvatore Mundi getting into a scrape uh, But we never ended up, actually I, th- I think we found something more interesting to talk about that week Whatever it was
0: um, I think. Oh, the, I think it was the first our first week back, and it turned out we just had a lot to talk about.
1: Probably, yeah. Um, no, so basically, this was um, a a Salvator Mundi that was stolen from the Basilica of San Domenico Maggiore in Naples, um, seemingly stolen to order and recovered. In I guess January of this year Um, So the painting was A lesser known 15th century version Of the contentious Salvatore Mundi Most likely painted towards the end of the second decade Of the 16th century By a Lombard artist and a follower Of Leonardo's style of the second Milanese period which is 1508 To 1513 apparently Um, It was recovered by Now this was the bit I liked By the crimes against the heritage section Of the Naples flying squad of the Polizia di which I assume is the... I do love a State decent Police. flying squad. Mm, especially one with the Crimes Against Heritage section. Um, yes, it was discovered behind a wardrobe in a private residence in Ponticelli, which is an eastern suburb of Naples, um, and the 36-year-old owner of the apartment has been taken into custody for the offence of receiving stolen goods. Now, we can actually spin this into a conspiratorial angle because it does seem that the painting was stolen to order. Um, it seems like there was it wasn 't just somebody somebody um, making off of it for themselves there was there was some sort of a conspiracy behind it It was um, It was stored in a, in a in a cabinet in this basilica, which was locked. The cabinet itself showed no signs of forced entry, so it did appear to have been um, some sort of a somebody who knew what they were doing um, we're not quite sure if the person who they actually found it with is the person who stole it. Um, but according to Alfredo Fabrocini of the Naples Law Enforcement Division, the man who they resisted gave, uh, they arrested rather, gave little credible information on how he came into possession of the painting and apparently told the officers, I found it at a flea market. Because well. that's what I do when I steal something from the Basilico of San Domenico Maggiore. I just see how much I can get for it at a flea market. Well,
0: I mean, we've all watched those those detective shows, or those movies, where the person is all about the heist, but not about actually making any profit from the heist. So I get my thrill from stealing mm. the artifact, but I don't care what happens afterwards. The thieves with hearts of gold, Joshua, hearts of gold. Probably,
1: probably, yeah, probably, probably golden-hearted thieves, robbing the basilica of San Domenico Maggiore. Um. And that's kind of, I think part of the reason why this didn't sharpen the episode is that that's basically all there is to it. Somebody stole a painting and then it got found and they got arrested. Uh, but it was a nice little um, a nice little callback. Those, those Salvatore Mundi's, they just can't stay out of trouble.
0: Every time we say Salvador Mundi, all I can think of is Eleanor Rigby. You know, Eleanor Rigby, Mundi, Salvador Mundi, da da, da, picks up the da, rice da, 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 da in the da, da, church da, 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 where a wedding has been, lives in a dream. Salvador Mundy, wait at the window wearing a face that she keeps. Actually, I mean, this actually would. We, I mean, if we yeah. spent enough time, we could actually rewrite Eleanor Me to be about the Salvador Mundy.
1: We could. I don't know if we should. I, that is, you, You've got me doing it now. I think that's the worst I've had since somebody pointed out that COVID 19 can be sung to the tune of Come On Eileen. Um, but let's not de- go there. Dee
0: dee. De- dee de- dee
1: dee. Well, I, I'm sure we've talked about this before. You've seen the um the Twitter feed of Wikipedia articles whose titles can be sung to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme. I have indeed. That's the thing that exists. My personal favourite, post-traumatic stress disorder. There isn't but a harsher there, mm. Um And so that I think I think we can now remove our our, our monocles and our top hats, um, tip our remaining brandy into the gutter where it belongs. And uh, leave leave the art world, because we're done, I think, with our stories. But, now, but maybe, now, maybe this what year. I say is,
0: you know, what, what the listeners aren't aware, that they think they've been listening to two people talking about art forgeries, art hoax, and stolen paintings. But we've been doing an entire Ocean's 8 the entire time, distracting you from the actual crime we just committed. It's the mm. perfect cover story.
1: It is. Which which four of the oceans are to <laughs> you and which four am I? <laughs> well,
0: you're definitely Sandra Bullock.
1: Yeah, one quarter of me is Sandra Bullock, I've always said that. Yeah. Um Yes, well and and so possibly we should then um wrap things up as quickly as we can before the before the cops rumble us. The and phones, Joshua, to... the phones. Before we're forced to stage another elaborate heist, because it'll turn out that when they pick us up, that's exactly what we wanted to happen, and our person on the inside is going to spring us, and it'll all be a hilarious Jape. It's but true. until then, it's true. Yeah, James Corden has actually low.
0: turned out to be the secret third host of the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy mm. since the beginning.
1: Exactly. Um, but before we go, we should probably point out that we, dis- despite this being um, uh, a recap and an expansion on bonus episode content in the past, we do have an actual bonus episode coming up after this. And it's, um, I mean, it's it's art adjacent, I suppose, would you say?
0: Yes. So we're going to talk about America's Stonehenge, how America's Stonehenge has being defaced, and the curious role that QAnon plays in the story. It's going to get weird, and we're going to have a reference back to America Unearthed. Yep. Which should be giving Josh nightmares right
1: now. Ah, mild flashbacks, I would say. Um, but yes, yeah, so until then um, That's what our patrons get to sink their teeth into uh, if, if you're not currently a patron And you'd like to be one uh, Then just go to patreon.com and look for the podcaster's guide To the conspiracy um, If you're not a patron and you're fine with that Well then we're, we're fine with that too, quite frankly But we'd love um, you, you to just... become one So you can yep, join
0: yeah. on the hijinks
1: yeah, but no pressure, no pressure. I mean, you get you get access to a Discord server and and stuff like that. But you know, it's 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 all it's all good. It's quite literally all good. Um, so I think we'll get off and and um, record an episode about QAnon defacing Stonehenge or something. Uh, but until then, to the rest of you, we simply say goodbye and toodle pip.
0: The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy is Josh Addison and me, Dr. M.R. Dentith. You can contact us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider supporting the podcast via our Patreon. And remember, remember, oh December, what a night.